Hi, I'm Melanie. And I'm Justin. And we're a couple of counselors. Welcome back to the podcast. Last time we were talking about some trauma treatment and at the very end, for those of you who stayed to the very end, congratulations, (laughs) Justin made some promises to the people. So do you want to tell them what we're talking about today? Yeah, it's funny because I made some promises to the people that I think are... I don't know if it's going to be exactly what folks have wanted, but I've had a few different people talk about over the course of this podcast, talk about being interested in narcissism Mm -hmm. and the direction that we'll probably end up in. I'm not sure if it's exactly what they had in mind when they said they were interested in that, but hopefully it'll be helpful. Um, So yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about narcissism and then I think ultimately mostly about empathy and attachment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I know in the earlier episodes we had some disclaimers. I'm going to go into this with one while I'm thinking of it. Yeah. But of this podcast is not meant to diagnose anybody. Mm. That needs to be done by a clinician that you are working with. Yeah. And only then. Um, I know that there are quizzes online and there are uh, a lot of times where people use the term narcissist or narcissism along with many other mental health labels um, in a informal way Mm. we're going to be talking about certain characteristics we are not wanting this to be in place of you getting specific treatment and support if you think this might be something that you're struggling with or it being used to help diagnose somebody else yeah. in your life or anything yeah. like that totally which is the more likely scenario <laughs> because, because first of all people who struggle with narcissistic tendencies are less likely to seek treatment that's kind of well understood for reasons that i think are pretty intuitive but also i think your point is a really good one which is that there are times that people don't like someone <laughs> and it's kind of like this person's a narcissist so there's a couple things in what you just said there that I think are important. And one of them I never thought about until you just said that. And just in your talking about the idea of narcissism kind of being in the popular culture and the language and there's quizzes online and, you know, YouTube's like insane with how to tell if you're dating a narcissist or, you know, whatever. Yeah. What, what I think is interesting about it, and I don't know if you think this is interesting, but I just thought of it, is the idea that so narcissistic personality disorder is a diagnosis. And what's interesting about it is that it's a diagnosis where the first word is actually a relatively common word. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason that it can be a little tricky. I'm, th- I'm thinking of another personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. How often do you hear people use the word histrionic? They just, it's not like a common word, but people use narcissist yeah. as a much, you know, as a, in a bunch of different ways. And it happens to be the first word in an actual, very serious mental health disorder. Yep. So I'm just thinking about how it's, it'd be easy for people to kind of get confused about like, oh, this person's a narcissist or like, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm immediately finding examples of like bipolar disorder or uh, even with histrionic yeah, yeah. hysterical yeah, uh, that's a good being point. used. So, yeah, I, but I, I think it, they all fall under this umbrella of yeah. terms that are used often beyond the point of um accuracy (laughs) yeah yeah no that's a great point actually yeah because i I hear people say all the time like this person's being bipolar and it's like you know you have to stop like okay i'm not sure you you know what you're saying exactly 
Um, but your point is an important one, which is that it is never appropriate to even joke about, you know, a mental health diagnosis. Hmm. Um, the only way to give a proper mental health diagnosis is with a thorough assessment with a trained clinician who understands your history and your presentation and your current symptoms and all of those things. Yeah. Um, so very important point and kind of a cautionary tale for like thinking someone in your life has narcissistic tendencies and jumping on YouTube and being like they do, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also recognizing that you're determining something that's coming up for you about interacting with another person and that might speak to the need for a boundary, the need for that personal exploration of what is it about this behavior that's unsettling to me in some way. And I, I understand that desire to want to have a a way to explain that or a way to understand that. Um, when we were, well, when you had mentioned this would be the topic I was thinking, I, um, I've never, worked with a client who came in with narcissistic personality disorder like as their identified diagnoses that they were maybe already received in treatment and I've never diagnosed somebody with that either and I'm not saying that that has never been appropriate or I've refused to work with someone with narcissistic personality disorder but I think a few factors are at play one um, it is not often that somebody with um well can we call it NPD is that yeah. first <laughs> for sake of brevity um that people with NPD seek treatment in that way um and it's just not something that is a a primary thing I'm screening for I I don't think I'm yeah. I'm really looking at tra- more trauma based um not that there isn't trauma in narcissistic personality disorder, but I'm seeing other what's called cluster B personality disorders. Um, so within personality disorders as a whole, um, there are these different subsets, the cluster of symptoms that help um, categorize them. And within cluster B, there's borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. And I've worked with people that actually have those diagnoses. Um, I just have never, I've never had that clinical experience. So I wanted to put that out there as well, because up until this point, everything that we've talked about on the podcast have been um, things that I've had firsthand experience working with a client around. And then the other thing I want to say is I work with several clients who somebody in their life has received a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, primarily parents that have received a diagnosis and I'm working with their adult child. Mm. So they're now sorting through the traumatic experiences and attachment wounds of growing up with a parent that was displaying these characteristics or had this di- has this diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, a lot in what you've said in this disclaimer and is is all important. And I, I want to just give like an umbrella disclaimer <laughs> above all of that, which is that you and I are not particularly focused on diagnoses in general, because like you said, we're looking more at root causes. So, mm-hmm. so. And we're, and we're yeah. working with a flawed document. 
which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that, in our opinion, I don't want to speak for you, but is really missing the trauma diagnosing and understanding to inform it. Yeah. That it's very um, symptom, which I understand the need for symptoms, but it's very much, uh, I think it, it separates things out in a way that overlooks the influence of trauma across several diagnoses that are nowhere near the trauma section, yeah. which is a very small section comparatively. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's atheoretical. It's just symptoms. Here's a cluster of symptoms. And if you have enough of these, we call it this. Mm-hmm. And again, not that it's completely useless, but it's it's just not, I think, a, it's not the place to start as a clinician. It's mm-hmm. kind of like with an eye on like, what label can I give this person? That's not the way that we think. It's funny yeah. you say it that way, because that is what we are instructed to do. Yeah. I, my um, internship in graduate school, one of my roles was assessing clients. Yeah. Um, and if they met criteria for a diagnosis that needed to be identified in, within the first hour of hour and a half of meeting with them yeah. um, for insurance purposes, for the, the ability to qualify for the program for a second session, not that... You know, I was never put in a position where I needed to fabricate a diagnosis. If someone was, I was working in a, a, a program that treated mental health and substance use and every single person met criteria for at least one of those diagnoses very clearly, but it was uh, an uncomfortable shift to be like, oh, I'm diagnosing someone that I just met. Yeah. That's a, you know, as a new clinician, 10 years ago, that was the, the process. Um, and it still is for insurance purposes. You can't even bill for an assessment without a diagnosis. Yeah. So um, it is part of the expectation, but also I think a, a huge disservice to the treatment process in, in yeah. a lot of instances. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think we need to, refocus a little because we're, we're getting off on a little bit of tangents but just to wrap that part up your yeah. point is a very good one which is that the reason for that is insurance based mm-hmm. and and while we have to do that i guess the only thing i was trying to say is that that's not what my mind is doing in the assessment sure you know what i mean yeah and i assume that's similar for you it's just after you've spent a couple hours with someone you can usually reasonably diagnose something that the insurance companies will then <laughs> pay you for it to dig into the other stuff, you know? Yeah. So what is narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder? Why are we talking about it? I want to, there's a few different places I want to go. I want to just identify a few things that people will have heard. So we already talked about narcissistic personality disorder. That's an actual personality disorder. There's also the idea of vulnerable narcissism, which is something that... I've never heard of until this very moment, so you thank it. you for educating me as well. Yeah, it's it's all the rage. <laughs> uh, you know, Where? On the internet streets. You know. Get out of there. <laughs> Get out of the internet street. No, there's a guy, a psychologist, uh, Kaufman, Scott Kaufman, who is a, actually a legit guy and he's he makes the podcast rounds and he talks about it quite a bit but basically the idea of vulnerable narcissism is just that there is there's a little bit less of the uh intense behavior you might see in terms of grandiosity and you know even 
manipulating and using other people toward your own ends, you know, because when you go to the far end of narcissism, you're talking about psychopathy sometimes and things like that. There's a little bit less of that and there's more of just the, the focus is on the, the emptiness of self and yeah. how kind of fractured the person is. So, so all of the narcissistic tendencies are a defense, right? But when I first heard about this, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Like it's a, it's a problem with empathy, which is likely, not that there aren't biological roots that I probably don't know about, I don't know that anyone does, um, but it's a problem with empathy, which is almost certainly rooted in early attachment disruption. So what do you do when you lack empathy? You move through the world like other people's feelings don't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what do we call that? You know, one of the words we can call that is narcissism. So um, just wanting to identify that there, there are these different subcategories and also that the primary issue with narcissism, whether you're talking about someone who has some narcissistic traits or actually would meet criteria for NPD, the primary issue is empathy and a lack of it. And the thing I wanted to flag and kind of send people toward because it was so informative is Simon Baron Cohen. And I, I lose my mind every time I say this. You know this guy. Yeah. yeah. Simon Baron Cohen, not Sasha Baron Cohen. They're brothers. They're brothers. They're actually brothers. His brother Simon is a world-renowned psychologist when it comes to autism. And he wrote a book, which I think is terribly titled, but it's an amazing book. It's called The Science of Evil. Um, and basically, he explores mental health diagnoses that were the primary, one of the primary issues, at least, is uh, being low empathy. And the three diagnoses he identifies are autism spectrum disorder, uh, borderline personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. And obviously... Autism is kind of an outlier there in terms of being a neurodevelopmental disorder, whereas borderline personality disorder and what I'm kind of trying to say the long way, also NPD, are almost certainly more kind of appropriately thought of as attachment disorders, mm -hmm. where one is just significantly lacking empathy. Um, so just wanting to name that first, that like, it may be even more helpful to think of that, right? When you have someone in front of you and you're having this reaction that we talked about in the beginning, like, Rather than being like, this person's a narcissist, just being like, this person seems to be struggling with empathy. And by <laughs> yeah. that, I think even boiling that down into more practical terms is like, they can't see my perspective right now. Yeah. And right now is really important words too. We can talk about that. Yeah. But like yeah. in this moment, mm -hmm. I am seeing my perspective and their perspective. Yeah. And I'm speaking with someone in this moment that's only seeing their perspective. Mm. Totally. And how frustrating that feels and validating all of that, but really recognizing yeah. that that is the rub that's happening in that moment. And really, yeah. because then you can do something or not do something about it. Yeah. Um, focusing completely on the frustration about what, what, why, or what's wrong with them or what, like mm. that, that doesn't move anything forward. But yes, yeah. that, that's one concept when I, I'm thinking about levels of empathy that's really important is can this person, do I feel, is it being received by me that this person is accounting for my existence yeah. in this at all in this moment? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and my feelings in this issue, right? Mm -hmm. I, I do want to delineate just very quickly cognitive and, and emotional empathy because please, I think that people talk about empathy and most people know when they think of the word empathy, they're like, yeah, I know what that means. It means walking a mile in someone's shoes, it means putting myself in someone else's situation. 
But there is this important delineation of cognitive empathy or knowing what someone might be thinking, knowing how, what you might need to say to get this person to do a certain thing, knowing kind of their internal world at a cognitive level. That's why it's cognitive empathy versus emotional empathy, which is having a, a felt sense of what they're going through. Right. So can you, cognitive, can you think about what they're thinking about? Yeah. And see their perspective in that way. Yeah. Or emotionally, like, are you feeling it? Can, yeah. Do you know, do you get a sense of what they're feeling when exactly. they're feeling it? Yeah, and the reason, the reason this delineation is important, and I'm just I'm surprised it's not made more, is that there you'd be surprised to learn, for example, that psychopaths, who I think again, you ask anyone on the street, hey, psychopaths good with empathy, and people would be like, no, mm-hmm. and they'd be right because they're not good with emotional empathy, but they're very good with cognitive empathy. That's why they are able to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Likewise, with narcissistic personality disorder, they. The folks may actually be decent at cognitively empathizing, but there isn't that felt sense of this person is a human being with a whole internal world going on, and my behavior right now is really impacting them. There's none of that feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so so that's an important distinction, I think. Sure. Um, and then I wanted to just highlight, because you were going somewhere great, Mel, which is the idea of... I'm sure. <laughs> of how to... <laughs> Of how to, of engaging with these people. That's what one of the people I spoke to said is like, you know, one of the things they mentioned is dealing with somebody who has trouble taking accountability, which I think we all know folks like that in our lives. uh, And also who has, who responds extremely defensively and even lashes out when confronted with some idea like, hey, you hurt my feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the reason I wanted to flag the vulnerable narcissist because this would be in the internet streets and maybe this is more official than I realized. Like I said, there's a couple psychiatrists, psychologists I've heard talk about it, but um, this would be the vulnerable narcissist land where they are so fractured internally that any confrontation is taken as like a complete affront to the self. So they lash out mm-hmm. and you were getting toward kind of what do you do with that? Once you've noticed that this person, you know, so I don't know if you have some thoughts off the top of your head. I have some thoughts about kind of engaging with folks like that who are kind of presenting in this way in your life, you know, either at work or. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to hear what you, what you have to say. And maybe if you could give an example of the conflict. I'm trying to think of some for my personal life. Have, yeah. you know, like. Yeah, I think. I have some thoughts. I want, to, I want to say one other way of looking at this, which you've talked about before, which is this, because I think that it's a little more broad and people might be able to conceptualize better, the idea of internalizer and externalizer. Mm-hmm. So again, moving away from NPD as a diagnosis and just thinking about people who, you know, maybe in your head, you're like, God, they struggle with empathy sometimes or they're, they seem a little narcissistic. These tend to be folks who are externalizers. So yeah. they look for solutions in the outside world. Right, like how are you, other person I'm talking to, going to fix it? (laughs) Exactly. Whereas an internalizer is, how am I going to fix this Mm -hmm. for everybody? Yeah, exactly. So my first thought, and this is, goes back to our very first podcast, but the first thought that I have is that the need to validate and connect at an emotional level before, before talking is 
would be like times 100 with someone like this. And again, they may not actually connect with it, but what you can do is even switch that kind of emotional validation into like a behavioral validation. So I saw you do this thing that was super awesome. You know, so you're kind of like, you're acknowledging, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting manipulating or lying. Like presumably they've done something good. Start with whatever is good. Start mm-hmm. with whatever, you know, will cause them to, to not feel immediately attacked and then moving into whatever the thing is you need to say, like, I need you to do this more at work or, you know, you mm-hmm. hurt my feelings or whatever. So that's my first thought is just the basics of like starting with validation and if they're not particularly emotionally capable, you can make that behavioral validation. Like you did a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I feel like that's universal beyond yeah. NPD, right? Totally. Um, I'm thinking there's a client I work with who's expressed that her her mom has some of these traits. Yeah. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head if she's a, her mother ever received a formal diagnosis. It's not... Often I, I don't go into what are the formal diagnoses of the people in your yeah, um, yeah. in your direct orbit. But yeah. there when she has attempted to set boundaries around mm. like not just showing up at my house or um I need to know in advance if you need something for me and, and if I can do it, like give a ride or something. I will, mm. but if I can't, I can't. Um and it, when a boundary set, it's often like, why are you doing this to me? Yes. You, you, I've done so much for you. Why are you doing this to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and just her, her in her mind, my, in my client's mind, her existence is only seen as it relates to what that does for her for mother. For her, to her, yeah. 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 I mean... And that's the place I was thinking in my mind of going next is talking about boundaries because Mm -hmm. I don't know how this book has had such an outsized influence on me, but the book where I'm getting the language of internalizer and externalizer, adult children of emotionally immature parents, which is an incredible book, discusses basically the concept of managing interactions with parents who struggle with emotional intelligence. That's kind of the language the author's using. But again, super relevant if, if the struggle extends significantly far enough into narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic tendencies, all that you can do is manage the interaction, mm-hmm. you know, is set your expectations very clearly kind of going in with this person knowing I'm not going to be getting emotional validation. Yeah. I'm not going to be getting the things that I need emotionally. So my goal is to manage this interaction to get what I need done, whether that again, in the work setting is like something at work needs to be done or with a parent, you know, I need to see this parent on this, at this family gathering or whatever. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're just going in and managing it. And it sounds, you know, like detached and, and kind of sad, especially if it's a family member. Sure. But it may be what's needed to protect yourself. Because what's the alternative? Yeah. Emotional hijacking. But, yeah. you know, I think um, what that brought up for me as you were describing it is mourning the loss of the relationship that you deserve to have. Yeah. Um. Any child deserves emotional attunement yeah. as a fundamental need being met. And when that can happen, and as an adult, when you can see it's continuing to not happen, mm. holding on to the hope that this is the time in which this boundary, I'm going to say it in the right way at the right time. I've done all this work and finally I'll be able to say it and stay regulated 
and receive emotional validation um, is the set is an ongoing setup, mm-hmm. and in some ways the definition of insanity, insanity right? Sure. Um, and so and that and by that, I, for those who are not familiar with being in the rooms and I don't know wherever else they use the definition of insanity, but it, it's you know doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. Um, I think we can trick ourselves into believing that because we have changed or done a lot of work mm. that it will actually be different now for the other person. Like we will have somehow, especially if we come from that internalizer place, mm. we have somehow just done the magical combination of steps in the right order to mm-hmm. unlock this new level of interaction. Yeah. Um, and we show up doing those things. And then the other person is still right where they were or maybe a little caught off guard or maybe there's a little bit of an opening but there isn't the leap there's a a gigantic discrepancy and the person's if they had expectations going into that interaction will not be met yeah yeah there's a couple important things to highlight in what you just said and one of them is the morning of the relationship Mm -hmm. and and definitely here you know it's important to differentiate between what you're talking about which is a parent and then managing yeah. an interaction with a coworker, for example, because there's less work there in terms of grieving a relationship. You can just say like, this person's really hard to work with. I need to manage this interaction. Still a helpful way to think about it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't require the work that to your point with a parent, you're still managing the interaction because like you said, the alternative is emotional hijacking, continued emotional disturbance and disappointment. Yeah. So you're managing that so that that's not happening day in and day out. But then the, something that can be done in, in therapy and, you know, in the longer term is then there's the morning of the fact that you have to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, yeah, it's such a, a sad place to be in for all these, you know, we work with people all the time who've done so much work, like you said, and they're surrounded by people who haven't. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's upsetting. So then what's the advice for the, well, what if it's not a parent? What if it's a significant other mm. or child? And then what if it's you? And you, when you say if it is, you mean that it's displaying narcissistic tendencies? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we're coming toward the end, I, I want to just, I have in my mind, I want to just rattle off answers to that. Do it. Partner, run away. Stop. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No, if you have a partner and you're concerned about them displaying these tendencies, I mean, that, yeah, it's, it's a huge red flag because, again, just back to the baseline here, we're talking about somebody who's struggling with empathy. Yeah. And that's going to all always be a difficult thing to be with somebody who struggles to empathize with you. Yeah. Our neighbor's deciding to mow their lawn right now, so if you hear that, I, I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Lawn looks great, though. He does. Congrats. So this... This idea of if it's a romantic partner run, right? Like I know said in tongue in cheek, but I think, yeah, there are some, there's some room for progress that could be made if the other person is invested in that. Um, And it's a tall hill to climb. And are you gearing up for that with them, alongside them, maybe uh, several steps ahead, asking them to come up? 
with you. Like where I think for you setting boundaries early and often for yourself about what you are prepared to to navigate and uh, and what needs to happen. What what are the shifts that would need to happen in order for you to feel emotionally um, fulfilled enough in the relationship? Yeah, and the level you alluded to the level of insight, which is like, and willingness is like everything, right? Because mm-hmm. I I have worked with people who display pretty significant narcissistic tendencies, and it's in the folks I've worked with, it's always coming from this deep place of shame. Mm-hmm. So when you dig into the shame and when you support them in feeling better about themselves, their whole world changes. Yeah. And these are people who are in therapy and doing that work. So I'm just imagining like their partner mm-hmm. could be someone who's with someone who's had a long history of narcissistic tendencies, but they're in therapy and they're, yep. you know, so certainly the willingness and the level of insight matters. If you have someone with neither insight or willingness, mm-hmm. I think that's where the run comes in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So plug for therapy. Yes. yes. Um, okay. What if it's your kid? Your kid? Yeah. I don't know. I have trouble getting there in my mind because our kids are so tiny and I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who was concerned about their kid being a narcissist. So maybe we'll look and see if there's a podcast that exists on that. We're just, you know. Spitball. Yeah. Do you have thoughts off the top of your head about that? Um, Well, I think part of it is their age, right? If they're they're already an adult versus if they're a minor because I think like the developing prefrontal cortex and practicing um, expressing empathy and modeling empathy in ways that may or may not be supportive. Um, those are things that come to mind. Yeah. Um, quick, yeah. Plug, quick plug in what you're saying for the fact that personality disorders and even bipolar disorder should not be diagnosed in adolescence. And, yes. and say that because there may be folks listening to this who have a 15 year old and you know a provider saying they have this diagnosis I've, I've seen it a lot where I've never seen a, a 15 or 16 year old kid receive it's, it's always borderline personality with the folks the population I've been working with but never seen them receive that diagnosis but I've heard them told by providers mm. basically we're looking at that and I'm just thinking to myself the personality is not anywhere close to formed they're 15 years old. It's just not appropriate, you know? Yeah. And it's important enough. I haven't, maybe we said this in another podcast, but I want to repeat it. it with per, any personality disorder, we all have personalities. We all have traits. And it's the extent to which those traits are impacting our functioning, our quality of life, in which it could register as a disorder. Yeah. So if there is a moment where you're looking back and like, oh, I responded in a way and I could meet that one thing of criteria, like yeah, that's yeah. just recognizing like all children have personalities, all parents, all grandparents, right? Like they're like, we are humans. So yeah. that, and then what if it's you, right? Like what yeah. if in this example, it is you um, that, that we've been speaking about, you know? And I yeah. think you alluded to, is there insight? Is there willingness? Is it possible? I'm speaking to you directly. If you think this might be you as we're talking about this, is is it possible to try something that maybe does not feel necessary or interesting or important 
as like an internally motivated thing, but may result in less work and greater efficiency and deeper connections and relationships that'd be worth trying mm. worth trying out um i i would encourage i would encourage you to look into that and to think about what what would you maybe not need but think would be easiest for you to relate in a provider like to have a pro- provider possess so that you can be um discerning up front and hopefully find find a good fit and if not keep looking yeah yeah i think the idea of you know if it's if we're talking to a person who thinks they may struggle with some narcissistic traits i think there's kind of the universal advice of trying to listen to people around you Mm -hmm. because in this specific case it's most likely feedback that you're getting about your behavior um yeah so yeah so being able to try to hear some of that is again universal advice yeah and i would be looking at is that feedback i'm getting across situations because you could grow up in a family unit in which that term is Mm -hmm. thrown out Mm -hmm. right um but is that also happening uh by a supervisor or a friend or a teammate or something or if you're hearing it across circumstances yeah. not just in one in one spot for sure yeah very important delineation because of the thing we talked about in the beginning which is that i get the sense the last time i'll say the internet streets <laughs> but i get the sense that this word is sometimes being kind of weaponized so if it's it's possible it's being weaponized against you you know so it's certainly a d across settings is an important piece of advice yeah yeah so you just heard us earnestly attempt to uh, to talk through this. So hopefully it it brought up some some critical thought on your end. And I think um, for next topics on the podcast, we're going to be looking deeper into trauma treatments. Yeah, sounds good. Maybe uh, we should send some requests out because we're gonna be on vacation so it's gonna be two weeks probably till we do it again we've been kind of averaging two weeks for those paying attention yeah uh so that you know that might be the thing but check us out on instagram and if you have questions or suggestions yeah suggestions that'd be great let us know all right take care thanks (laughs) 